Our reading will come from 2 Corinthians 3 this evening. 2 Corinthians 3. You'd like to do some mental and maybe some study ahead of time between now and next Wednesday. Our plan is to go back to the idea of the cultural war and look at abortion, look at the many aspects and impact of abortion uh, in this world. With the anniversary of Roe versus Wade coming up, um, we usually have a couple lessons on abortion this time of year. We want to learn better and better how to engage in this cultural war that is uh, surrounding us. This evening we'll look at uh, some very important lessons in, from Second Corinthians 3 about the law of Moses and the law of Christ. But let's re- do our reading first. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version beginning in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 3. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what, of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, open face, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so let's take a look at this, and you're very welcome to work through that a sheet of paper, the worksheet. It doesn't look like much, but if you take notes, then you'll, you'll fill your page here in just a short time. 
If you don't take notes, you'll still get quite a bit out of this chapter because Paul really packs this chapter with some really uh, great information as he, as he usually does. Let's begin by noticing several contrasts between the old law of Moses and the law of Christ. And as we do that, let me ask you this question. How is the old law described in these few verses? Okay. And so we want to notice that. And as we notice that, you'll, we'll begin to see the contrast. But notice one description of the old law here in verse number 6. He said, he calls it the letter. The letter. He says, we are ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7 also, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face. So notice it's called the letter. The letter. The idea here is that under the old law, they had many, many different kinds of commandments, rules, and regulations. In contrast to that, the New Testament is full of rich principles. You notice that as you glance at the Bible. Many more commandments and regulations in the old than there are in the new. Jesus and Paul and others uh, focused on principles that would guide our lives, not seeking to control every little move and aspect of life. So that's one reason he calls it the letter here. In other words, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, God puts us on on our honor. It's kind of like the honor system. He... He does give commands, but more or less, he, he gives principles, he gives examples for inspiration, and then he encourages us to follow the Lord. So there's a stark contrast when he says, well, here's the letter, the old, the old covenant of which we're not under and have no, it does not uh, stand as our code of ethics or code of law today, uh, still, it, it had many regulations, okay? many laws. For some reason, when you Google commandments of the old law, it always pops up 613 commandments. Okay? And I don't know if the Jewish people nowadays have focused on that number, but that gives you an idea of just how many different commandments there were under the old law. Now, the old law focused on the outward man, seeking to regulate, you know, even what he ate, you know, and um, just a lot of different aspects. And you, you know about that by your experience with the old law. The new law focused more on the inward man, more on, on the heart. Um, Jesus' aim and the apostles' aim was to change our hearts to be more like God. And the New Testament focuses on motives, not just on what you're doing, but why are you doing it. We remember Matthew 6, for example, Jesus over and over talked about the Pharisees who would get up and pray, and they would seek to pray in places where others would see them praying. 
And he encouraged them to stop doing that. Go into your closet and pray. For the Lord sees and hears you. And that's all that matters. And so he's trying to bring them to the idea of focusing on the inward man. So God's idea is, under the new covenant, that if we ever change our hearts, and everything else will fall into place. That's really the idea of the new covenant. If we change our hearts to be like Christ, then we will have no problems following and being and doing as he would have us uh, to do and, and to be. The new law focuses more on our relationship with God. He is our Father, and we are his child. And we talk to him, and he talks to us. It's a reciprocal type of relationship. And so notice here in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, he, he begins by talking about the old law being the letter. The letter card uh, in, in stone. I don't think we need to just fly through that. Uh, there is a, an idea here that, that from God that he is expressing to us through this setup. And that is he wants us to be like him as he is doing with us in the new covenant, then we need to be toward each other as we operate under the new covenant. Okay? He puts us on our honor system. He's not seeking to try to control and regulate every part of our life. And so we do with each other. God trusts us. Why he does is sometimes, um, is sometimes a, a puzzle because why would he trust us who are weak and sinful, but that's what he means. Think about the Great Commission. Okay. If we don't carry the Great Commission out, then who's going to do it? Okay. God has no other plan. There's no plan B. Okay. He has no other plan. He's not going to come down from heaven. He's not, going to, he's not going to make some big display. If we don't share it, then the world is lost. Okay. He's putting us on our honor for us to recognize his love and to respond uh, to it. So we ought to do and be in our treatment of each other. Okay. Uh, within the church, there ought to be complete trust toward one another because that's how God uh, is treating us. When we bring up our children, we want to aim at their heart, remembering that if, if, we, if we can help create within our children a heart for God, everything else will fall into place. And so more and more, as our children get older, we want to more and more stop trying to regulate every activity and try to get them to understand the importance of, of God and how you think and how you feel and how you ought to move and, and act. But it's all because of God, not because we have rules and regulations in place. I think you understand that. And so, but he does say here the old law is like a letter the letter carved in stone, and so that brings out these contrasts that, um, that we're mentioning. Notice he also says that the letter here in 2 Corinthians 3 is a letter that kills. Okay. See that in verse uh, 6, letter kills. And then there's two other descriptions of the old law that goes along uh, with that. The old law is also called um, a ministry of death. And it's also called a ministry of condemnation. Do you see that? What verse is, is, um, mentions the ministry of death? What verse is that? Verse 7. Okay. Now what verse mentions that the old law 
or serving under the law, or law is a ministry of condemnation. Which one? Okay, which one? okay there it is. Verse number 9. Okay. But the idea of the letter kills, the, the letter is a ministry of death. It's a ministry. Why is that described in that way? Okay. Well, a couple of reasons. Turn your Bibles over to Galatians 3 for just a moment. Galatians chapter 3. Notice what Paul says in verse number 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not keep or abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And notice the word all there. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all those things. All those things. That puts us, all of us, under a curse because, you know, it's impossible to keep all the commandments of the old law perfectly. No one can do that. That's why there's a need for Christ. We can't keep the law of Christ perfectly. Again, that's why there's a need for Christ. But the reason it's called a ministry of death is that and the ministry of condemnation and the letter that kills is because standing on its own, the old law can do nothing for us. Can do, do nothing for the world, could do nothing for the nation of Israel. Now, the old law, when we recognize its purpose of bringing us to Christ and identifying more fully what sin is and how bad, bad sin is, now, when you recognize those purposes of the law, then you can see it's it's a God-given design. And so, but because uh, it says here that there's a curse upon everyone who cannot keep all of these uh, perfectly, then that, that really condemns the whole world. Now, also, Paul's speaking, of course, now on the timeline, Paul is speaking on this side of the cross. Jesus has already died. The old law has been nailed to the cross. The day of Pentecost has come, and so the church has been in existence. The Great Commission is being carried uh, forth. And so anyone then, that, well, there were people still trying to be justified by the old law. And Paul was having to address this in, in, in a lot of different places. Now he's addressing it here. If you seek to try to be justified by the old law, as some were still trying to do, then that's not going to work. That, that's going to bring you spiritual death. That's going to condemn you. Look at Galatians 5 and notice Galatians 5 and verse 4. You see that? Galatians 5 verse 4. You are severed from Christ, cut off from Christ. Well, who is this? You who would be justified by the law. In fact, you have fallen away from grace. And so those Christians who were being lured back to the old system of Moses for this reason and that, they needed to know you keep doing this and you're going to be cut off from Christ. You're going to fall away from God's grace. So it's called here a letter that kills, a ministry of condemnation, and a ministry of death. Now on the other hand, look at 2 Corinthians 3 again and notice in those few verses, what is the new... Or what should I should say, what is the law of Christ called? Okay. So what verse calls the law of Christ a new covenant? 
What verse in 2 Corinthians 3 calls the law of Christ the new Okay, verse 6. New Testament, uh, new covenant. That's, that's a popular identification of uh, the law in which we are under now. Okay. Um, let's, um, let's turn back to Luke 22 for just a second. Notice Jesus as he uh, speaks to his apostles about the Lord's Supper that would be in the kingdom church that he was going to be setting up. Notice his words here in Luke 22. Let's see. Picking up um, verse 17, Luke twenty-two seventeen. Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread also, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 20, And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of in my blood. The new covenant. New covenant. And then several uh, passages in Hebrews. Jump, jump over to Hebrews right quick and mark these. Passages about the New Covenant, looking at Hebrews 8. If you look at Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12, the apostle writing Hebrews is actually giving us a quotation from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. But notice how he begins here in quoting this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, and not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now notice when the old covenant was established and who it was established with. The old covenant was established with the nation of Israel. It was not not established with every nation Back in the old times, okay? God had one nation in mind. Okay? One nation, the nation of Abraham, the Hebrews, the Israelites, that nation brought Jesus into the world okay? through, through their lineage. God established this old covenant with them. Okay? When did he do it? Did he do it the day he created man? No, notice in verse 9. On the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Egypt. So the covenant didn't begin uh, at creation. Of course it didn't because he had not formed that nation uh, yet. So when they came out of Egypt, he formed it. But notice again, it's called the new uh, covenant here. Notice Hebrews 8 verse 13. He says, in speaking of a new covenant... He makes the first one obsolete. And what is he takes away the first that he may establish the second. What is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready uh, to vanish away. Again, Hebrews 9, uh, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15, Hebrews 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. New covenant. 
Now, which, what kind of phone you'd rather have, Andrew? What kind of you'd rather go back and have the phone that attaches to the wall and has a cord that comes out? Uh, you remember that? You do. Yeah. Uh, you don't lose those phones, do you? Oh, you do? Okay. Matt says you do. Oh, Matt wants to keep his job. So, uh, but most of us will say we like these portable phones. As much of the distraction they can be, still they're awfully convenient. And they can do so much for us in one spot. And so we don't want to go back to the old. We don't, want, we don't want to stick with the new. And Jesus has given us the new covenant. The new covenant. And so those who believe are still under the old covenant, why do they say that? And um, see, I guess that's it. Why would someone say we're still under the, the old covenant? And why would Well, that's a big question. Um, some just don't have the knowledge to support what they're doing. They just don't read. You know, they've never been able. They've never been exposed to this kind of class that we're having tonight. Second thing is, some divide the old law between the King Commandments and the rest of the law. They say, "Yeah, the the ceremonial parts of the law they've been taken away. That's why we don't bring in animals and sacrifice them." But the Ten Commandments still abide. So they, stuck. they try to stick to the Ten Commandments. Which all of it, Ten Commandments and everything, has been nailed to the cross. That's but. always, all, as well, that's all, always been an argument for the Catholic Right. And this is one reason we go back and study these kinds of lessons. is because when we are talking to someone about about the religion of Christ, we, we must get the discussion here in the New Testament. Okay. Until we get the discussion, get the conversation, the study, narrow down to the New Testament, then we're not going to make progress for understanding the church and understanding salvation, understanding family and so forth. That's not true. So it's all been done away, and the New Testament is perfectly sufficient to guide us um, and to make us what God would have us make us. But, you know, other than that, I don't really know. Um, it's, but basically, the Bible's not read. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, we need to handle the word right, rightly, uh, rightly divide the word. And that, those kinds of lessons are not taught out here in, these, in, our, in our religious groups. You know, um, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But it, I mean, it's just common sense in, in, in everyday life. If you have a law, an old law, an old rule, an old policy, whatever, and then a new one comes out, it makes the old void. Yeah. I mean, in everything. Business, 
except this one won't be replaced. But you're right. That, that does happen in life, and so it ought to, you ought to be able to pick up on this idea in Scripture. It's not hard. It's not hard. This is just one of the chapters. There are many chapters that deal with the, the new covenant coming in, the old law being taken away. Now, that's the, Nathan's saying the general religious population will just take what the preacher says and go no further. And then, then he's able to control their thoughts and their minds and, and it really creates a chaotic situation that God never really intended for it to be. And now we got the situation where we have so many denominations and so many teachings and all that. Um, when you look back to Hosea, Four six. It says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." That's where we're at right now. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Hosea, Hosea four verse six is a good one to to put in our notes because that's so true, and that's where we're at. And and uh, that's why, as we said, the Great Commission falls upon us. It's in our lap to to make these things known. So good good points. Good points. Another thing that the New Testament is called here in Second Corinthians three is the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit. I don't know if the word Spirit is capitalized in your translation or not, but I think it ought to be. Okay? I think it's just kind of implied. Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And um, several reasons for that. Um, you know, in John 16, 13, Jesus told his apostles uh, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and guide them into all the truth. And so what... How the New Testament came to be is because the apostles were guided by uh, the Spirit. Guided by the Spirit. In fact, turn your Bibles over to John 16. I don't know how long it's been since we noticed this, but it's really something to carry with you. John 16, chapters of John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is really preparing his apostles for the Holy Spirit coming upon them on the day of Pentecost. Notice in John 16, uh, 13, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare you things to come. So not only just guide them to all the truth, but they will know about things to come. Things to come. Okay, That's why John was able to write the book of Revelation, because that's, that's a book a lot about things to come. Okay. Paul and Peter could speak of the coming of the Lord's day, the judgment day, because the, the, the Spirit guided them to talk about things uh, to come. All right. Now, turn back to John 14 and 26. He says, uh, The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Alright. So how is it that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were able to sit down and write and remember all that, that Jesus uh, did? And all those details? Because they had help. They had divine help. Alright. So notice that. 
in John 14, uh, 26. Now, now notice John 15, 26. The Comforter, the Helper comes, John 15, 26, Jesus to his apostles still, whom I will send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, and he will bear, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me uh, from the beginning. And so, the fact that the apostles and the apostles laid their hands on certain ones, the fact that they were able to go forth and speak the truth, uh, that is the reason we're able to have the book of Acts. Because, you know, they went forth, they're doing all this preaching, they're going from place to place, they're bearing witness, they're able to bear witness perfectly because they had divine help, the Spirit was with them. So that you can see how the New Testament came to be. It's all about the Spirit's guidance. He would bring to them, to them the remembrance they needed. Because okay? they were human beings, they needed help remembering. So that gives us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It also gives Luke the ability to sit down and write, remember things in the book of Acts. Okay? Okay. Jesus said, well, also the Spirit will guide you into all the truth. And so that's why Paul and, and James and Peter and, and John were able to sit down and write the books of the New Testament because the Spirit's guiding them to all the truth. The Spirit also guides them into things to come. So that's how we're able to have uh, the book of Revelation okay, and, and other predictions given in the Bible. So the Spirit has a lot to do with how we got the New Testament, of course. It's called the ministry of the Spirit. So also here in verse 6, I think it is, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says... Whereas the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. There's a lot we could say about that. This is a part of the class where you say, okay, how much time do I spend on this? Um, so just, just reference Romans 8, uh, verse 2, where it says, um, the Spirit of life has made us free from the law, the law, the, the law that the Spirit gives, uh, who is the Spirit of life, he, he has set us free from the law of sin and death. But um, we'll just go on from there. So, the ministry of the Spirit, it's called the New Covenant, it's called the ministry of the Spirit, and it's also called the ministry of righteousness. So what verse has that? Look in your Bible, look at 2 Corinthians 3. What, what verse has the phrase ministry of righteousness? Verse 9. Okay. Verse 9, notice that. So this makes sense to us. You know, Paul said in Romans 1, 16 and 17 that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then in verse 17 he says, Therein is the righteousness of God. There, where? There where? There in the gospel. That gospel that brings salvation to everyone, it is in that gospel where we can find out what we need to do to become right with God. But it's not just about following the new covenant. Notice in your Bible, if you're in 2 Corinthians, notice in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, this is very important as far as understanding our place in the, in the world, our place in the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake... He made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, yes, we follow the New Testament, New Covenant, but we also understand our need for Christ. We're not going to follow any law. We're not going to follow the law of Christ to perfection. We will fail him. We will leave off things we ought to be doing. We will go against things that are written. We need, we wouldn't be, have any hope. It wasn't for the fact that Jesus, who knew no sin, took on sin for us so that we might be righteous. All right. So, notice that contrast there. Going back to 2 Corinthians uh, 3, let's notice uh, two or three other contrasts. Notice there's a contrast of endurance because over and over, Paul keeps saying that this old law is coming to an end. Do you see that in your, in your Bible? Do you see, uh, for example, verse 7? If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't look on Moses' face, this was being brought to an end. To an end. Notice again in verse number 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what remains or is permanent have glory. Again, verse uh, 13. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. To an end. This is a contrast between the old and the new. The old was brought to an end, but if you notice in verse 11, the new remains. Okay. This translation has the word permanent. The new is permanent. The New Testament is God's final revelation to man. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told those carrying out the Great Commission, I will be with you how long? To the end of the world. There's no, no, nothing else coming from God. No other written communication coming from No other audible communication coming from God. This is it. This has been his plan all along. This will be his final word to man. If we don't get the message out, then, then who will? So this is God's final revelation. All right. So that's a, a, a contrast in endurance. And then of course, again and again here in 2 Corinthians 3, we're noticing the contrast of glory. There was a glory attached to the old law. And he, he illustrates this by the fact when Moses went up on the mount, we read about this in Exodus 34, I think it is. Moses went up on the mount and received the commandments and brought down those two tablets. How did his face look? And what was the reaction of Aaron and others? They were scared. They were scared. In fact, they ran away. And Moses kept speaking out to them. Finally, Aaron came back, talked to him, and others finally came back, talked to him, and he was able to re- relate the commandments to them. But then after all that was done, they put a veil over his face so they could be in his presence. There was glory attached to the old system But again and again, Paul says there's more glory. The glory of the new covenant surpasses the old. It's not even close. I'm reminded of Jesus and Thomas over in John 20 when 
When Jesus said, okay, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But he went on to say, blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. That's those operating under the new covenant. There's more glory. There's more understanding of God now. There's more understanding of his love available now than ever has been before the new covenant was written and established. Go ahead, go ahead and read it again. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Right. Right. It's over and over, the, the glory belongs to the new. How will the ministry of the Spirit, verse 8, not be uh, more glorious? Okay. The contrast of the glory. And I really don't know how to describe the word glory. It's used a lot, but I don't know how to put a great definition on that. Everything that is wonderful about God is wrapped up in that word glory. And we can just see more of it, know more of it, dream more about it, more revealed to us about heaven under the new covenant than ever was under the old. And so just more glory under uh, the new. So contrast of description, contrast of permanence, contrast of glory, and then contrast of light. Notice... Moses' face shined to where people really noticed and had to put a veil over it. But that doesn't even compare to the light of the new covenant. Notice in your Bibles, going down into chapter 4, and notice, uh, let's just start in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. Notice this. To keep them from seeing. This is the devil's work. He keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, let light shine out of darkness. And that's what God did at the very beginning as he created the world. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the light that now comes to us in the knowledge of the gospel, the new covenant, is greater than any light that has ever been manifested, including the light at the very beginning of the world, even including the light on Moses' face. When the law came through Moses, it came through a lamp. And Moses only had the knowledge that was provided to him at the time. When the word came through us, through Christ, Christ for Good point. Brent's saying, when the law came through Moses, Moses was a man, and he had very limited knowledge as a man. But the new law coming through Christ, Christ, of course, was already part of the Godhead. He left heaven to come here. And he was able to express uh, the, the light of the gospel uh, to the world.
maybe part of it is because people, if they hear us saying that, that we're not under the Old Testament, but we're under the New Testament, it's almost like saying, well, God made a mistake. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes. You're saying that uh, the Old is, is no good anymore, that we're not under it, we're under the New. And uh, in Galatians 3, you know, Paul talks about what the purpose was. It's all a part of God's plan. Not that he made a mistake, but he intended to be that way because it was supposed to prepare man or to guide man to Christ in, in God's wisdom this time. Okay, what Brother Larry is saying, I think it's a good remark in answer to Paul's question. Why do, why do people not understand what we look at as a very simple concept? It may be in the way we go about explaining this. Instead of just saying, well, we're under the, old, under the new, not under the old, we probably need to do a better job of, of why there was an old covenant in the first place. Why was there a nation of Israel in the, first, in the grand scheme of God? What was the purpose of the old law? And he was mentioning Galatians 3.24 about its purpose. One purpose was to bring us to Christ. You know, to make to see our need for Christ. And as we mentioned, it, it also was, had the ability to show us just how exceedingly bad sin is. And what a mess that we're in if we don't have uh, Christ. And... Uh, chapter 2, verse 17. We're, we're not like so many who are... Uh, this one says, Peddlers are God's word, but we are men of sincerity as commissioned by God and sight of God. We speak truth in Christ. Okay. Well, there is a lack of respect for God's word. and It's so powerful, we have to be... We have to study it out. And... Make sure that we're teaching it properly. Paul said, Paul's saying that. He said, we're not, we're not loose. We're not, we're not using God's word for any other purpose other than to save souls. And if we do that, we, we've got to be careful with it. So, excellent points. We'll continue these thoughts uh, either Sunday or next Wednesday. But uh, thank you so much for your interest in this. This is a powerful chapter, and we only got to just a few verses in it.